0: Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multi-millionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. When your life and your business grow as a result of what you're about to discover, please call me and tell me about it. The number to leave a voicemail is one 888 844-GROW. That's one 844 4769 Long distance charges may apply. Dial now to call me, connect, share your personal story of how my interviews have helped, or share your current challenges and frustrations so I can connect you with an appropriate course, coach, or help you if you connect. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urbanski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello everyone, thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by renowned mind mechanic and founder of CoachTheMind.ca, Muhammad Sheikh. Muhammad helps people release emotions and beliefs that are holding them back. He can't change someone's past, but he can help them change their relationship with the past. And Muhammad teaches them methods and techniques so they can do it themselves and don't need him. Now, I've asked him to join us here today to talk about how our past shape our futures and what we can do to write our own stories. So, Muhammad, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you doing?
1: Doing all right. Thanks so much for having me, Daryl. Yeah. How's the day going for you?
0: It's good, it's good. It's that we had to reschedule this a couple of times and Muhammad just got back from <laughs> speaking in Vegas. So we've been hustling both been hustling and moving and shaking. Now before we get into why people would flock to see you speak on a stage in Vegas and, and why they come to you for your help, how did you get into business and mindfulness and because I think the two kind of come hand in hand. I think that to be engaged in business you have to be in personal development. that's not necessarily exclusive, but how did, where did you get put on this path of trying to improve yourself, learning the skills of a mind mechanic, and also learning the skills of developing yourself in business?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think from the earliest of ages, I've always been really quite fascinated by by a couple things. Why is it that, you know, there was things that I was just naturally really, really good at, right, and it seemed kind of very, very difficult for other people, and I was always fascinated by that, and you know, more importantly, there was a lot of things that I struggled at.
2: Mm. (laughs) And
1: so many other people made it so easy, right? And I just couldn't exactly figure out, well, what was it that allowed them to just do it naturally? That's always been on the back of my mind. And then I was very fascinated by, well, why is it that the same life event can happen to two different people, you know, and that life event could be you know, maybe they want a million dollars or something. Sometimes it's usually something bad, like, you know, they had an accident or the loss of a parent or, Mm -hmm. you know, some traumatic uh, trauma happened to them when they were young. But that same life event for, like, one person could be the thing that, you know, puts them on a downward spiral of, like, drugs, alcohol, and, you know, everything kind of wrong in the book, where the exact same thing could happen to another person. Ah. And that's the thing that, like, turns them into, like, a ted. TEDx speaker or TED speaker like 30 years later, right? Right. So I've been always fascinated about that just kind of growing up, but I think really what solidified this path was because I needed it. You know, a little bit of my story was I was that kid that just really did well in school. You know, I I grew up in a household where youngest of four kids, very academic. If I came home at the 90, I totally had that dad that was like, you know, where's the other 10%, right? (laughs) And uh, actually, in in high school, uh, on my final high school transcript, I actually do have one course with a final mark of 100, right? So I was that kid that everyone hated, right? (laughs) But when I entered university uh, for computer science, something really interesting happened. Suddenly, I developed this fear. I never went to a professional, which sometimes I think it was a blessing in disguise because they probably would have given me the identity of having an anxiety disorder mm. since I've volunteered in mental health over the last several years now. So I never went, but that's exactly what happened. I would get physical pains to the point where I could not walk into an exam or into a test. And I would go to like a medical office or a doctor, you know, just to get like a note to get out of that test. But of course the, you know, the retest would always come up in the exact same mm. thing. And mm-hmm. long story short, you know, I have this, you know, this kid with like a 90, you know, average going into university ends up dropping out of school completely. And, you know, the only thing I could do at that point was get a sales job. I was like cold calling into, I live in Canada, but I was cold calling into America trying to sell these vacation packages, right?
2: Mm -hmm. So
1: I had a lot of these limiting beliefs about, you know, self-worth, you know, what am I going to do, what my future is going to look like. And a lot of a lot of stories that I told myself that kept me back. And so when I discovered, you know, neuro-linguistic programming or NLP, that was the beginning of this path that now almost, what, more than 15 years later, I'm teaching people the same sort of techniques and methodologies that helped me completely. I'm leaving a lot of details out right now, Mm -hmm. but it completely turned around my life so they can do the same thing. So that's kind of how I got into this work.
0: That's fantastic. And I think that there's a lot to be learned from your story. I loved how you said they didn't give you what did you say they didn't give you the identity of a disorder. Yeah. Was that yeah. I love that. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think that's a powerful thing. I think it's a really powerful thing.
1: Yeah. It's super powerful and it has that in and of itself has transformed the lives of so many individuals who find themselves in my office because you know I've done a lot of work I I've been volunteering my time answering phone calls on an anonymous line where youth would call in right but I see people one on one as well and they come to their office and they've been they've been told you know like I'll say you know why are you here you know and they're like oh you know this one girl that I had she's like I have a severe anxiety disorder and I have depression and I'm like oh You know, who told you that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like, uh, well, my doctor told me that. I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean for you? And so, like, well, it it helps me understand a lot of things. And I'm like, well, tell me more about that. Because in some cases, it is good to know that what you're feeling, you're not the only one. Right. But this is where it begins to go wrong because she starts telling me, well, all the times in the past, like, for example, when I was in high school, I now understand that all the low feelings and all the things I used to say to myself, was because of the fact that I had this thing called depression. And, you know, we've already had, you know, of course, confidentiality and everything, but we already had a little bit of conversation. And I say, look, it's not the fact that you have depression or this thing called depression, and that's the reason why you felt bad in high school. I mean, you told me a little bit about your life story. There was a lot of, like, severe, serious things that were happening in your family. Mm -hmm. Right. In high school. And if those things were happening to me, then I would feel depression as well, just because the brain knows how to like, I can tell you a sad story. Right. And you'd start feeling the feelings of depression. That's what's Mm -hmm. happening when stuff is happening in your life. That's where the feelings come from. And I think a lot of people, when they really understand that, that it's not like I have this thing called depression or anxiety disorder, like I have my hand that's attached to me. I have my hand. Right. But rather, it is simply a natural thing that the brain does, given certain stimulus. And then I teach them how to actually control that stimulus. Because the same girl, in that same one-hour conversation that I had, you know, face-to-face, I had her tell me a story of when she was, I can't remember now, I think she was like 10 or 11, and she had gone to one of her girlfriends' house for a sleepover, and she's telling me the story. And the look on her face is she's beaming. You know, they had so much fun. And she's beaming. And she's, you know, sitting up straight and, you know, the biggest smile on her face. And I'm like, stop right here. As you're telling me this story, yeah. find the depression now. And she looks at me and blinks. And I don't feel any depression. I'm like, exactly. Because right now, the story that you're running in your head is about that sleepover.
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: that's the power you know we start telling ourselves these stories we start you know living in these different parts of our you know of of our emotional history but the body feels what it feels in the moment in the present
2: Mm.
1: and that that's it she finally is like oh my god so all i have to do is i'm like (laughs) "Yep, that's it right spend more time thinking of things that make you happy spend more time going outside and you know and the things that are happening in your life, well, that needs addressing. We need to work and make a plan to actually resolve that because that's how you're going to get rid of your depression. There's things in your life that needs addressing, right?
0: Yeah, I fully agree on this. In fact, I think it's really tragic the way that the... like. As adults, you think that we would be civilized, well-educated, and that. But I just feel that in a lot of ways, certain aspects of our, our healthcare programs in the Western world mm-hmm. have really betrayed us. I feel like there's a ton of that stuff coming out right now. There's this, the ex, uh, exercise sciences specifically have been corrupted and bought out. There, it's all peer-reviewed. Yeah. It's not the scientific method. It's not where you create a hypothesis or you have a hypothesis and you know that helps develop theories that are repeatable. And, and duplicate you can duplicate it for other people. It's all peer-reviewed stuff now, and it's all like pats on the back, and it's just it's perverted it. And so now we have things where people are like, oh, I'm depressed. I need to eat a fistful of pills every day to take these antidepressants. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, most of my friends were on like Ritalin or Zoloft or Prozac or mm-hmm. some happy pill, and it pissed me off so much because I didn't get it. And I had friends that, that had committed suicide and such dealing with this stuff, and mm. it's just so tragic because like eat some oatmeal – get some sunshine, move your body, go do something fun, you're not going to be depressed, right? But if you sit in a box with no sunlight, no fresh air, you eat terrible food, which is another thing. Like, this is a whole different Mm -hmm. call, different topic. But the vast majority of diets people are eating is garbage. It's so garbage. It's it's such horseshit. And I'm saying that because I'm really upset because, like, my adoptive mom is diabetic, my younger Brother from that adopted family, he's going to be diabetic. Like, I've seen a lot of this stuff affect people. And I realize now that a lot of it has just been perversion of really simplistic things like it's plants and protein. It's that simple. Like we learn in school there are carnivores, there are herbivores, and there are omnivores. There's no category of animals that eat rocks and chemicals and all sort, and preservatives and all this sort of stuff. Like potato chips aren't actually that bad for you. But what's bad in potato chips is they put chemicals in it to kill off any sort of bacteria or mold or fungi from growing while like to preserve them on the shelf. So, you start eating this stuff, and that's what makes people sick. And I mean, how do we know that that's not what's happening? People aren't having a big bowl of chemicals for cereal in the morning, and that's what's messing them up in the head. Instead, we just push more pills on them because there's more money in sick people than healthy. At the end of the day, I truly believe that even though people have the best intentions, part of why we still have issues with things that are kind of as basic as, as depression and so much mystery around this stuff. Cause for you, you like mm. you solved it for her. And in an instant, she got it. She didn't need a four year degree. She didn't need 10 years of medical at right. Cause she got it in an instant. Like, Oh, that's what's causing my depression. And you changed and empowered empowered her to change her life forever. And we don't have that because I think that again, there's more money in sick people than healthy people. So there's layers of complexity added on to stuff and all this thing. And, I just think in a lot of ways the world's... I'm on a soapbox right now, but I just think in a lot of ways...
1: (laughs) No, brother, brother, I feel you. I feel your passion and I agree with you 100%.
2: You were saying something
0: about the helpline. You were saying about the helplines. There was something you had to beef with that they're not really there to help or... What was it? Yeah, you don't want to give people hope. Wasn't that what you said? You got in trouble one of these helplines because you were giving people hope or something like that. Wasn't that what it was? I forget. Can you... Yeah, no, what it was is that
1: I kind of stepped on some toes because I was delivering a workshop around effectively, you know, how do we can use language and some of the techniques that I learned, right? Because so I'm a hypnotist ultimately, you know, I've studied that for years and years and years and I like to tell people that my job is not to hypnotize anyone. Actually my job is to dehypnotize you mm, know from the right. from all of the hypnosis. Yeah, from that all the, the garbage has going done, on. That's exactly and and you know, going back to intention. Um, These individuals that are coming out of all of these schools, they have the best intentions, but they themselves have very much been hypnotized by, you know, what is possible and what is real. So, you know, anyways, there was a part where someone said, listen, you know, just understand that our job is just to listen to the callers, right? Mm -hmm. We're not here to you know, to really do anything beyond that. We're just here to, to be a voice, and which is great because for a lot of people, unfortunately, they don't have that emotional support. They don't have that social support. So it's a huge thing that we're doing. But the thing that kind of irked me was when this individual said, and remember, it is not possible for anyone to change over a phone call, right? Because change mm. takes years, right? And so when I kind of went up, and I said, listen, uh, I, I really respect all of this. And this was great. And yes, this is the purpose of our phone call. You know, we're really here to just be our service because, you know, we're not trained professionals. We're not, you know, as far as um, the, the volunteers who are on this helpline. Right. So we're not supposed to diagnose or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I just said, also understand that it is actually possible. I just want each and every one of you guys to know that on the phone, it is totally possible for you to change someone's life in a single phone call, I have done sessions where in 15 minutes, because mm-hmm. of something we just managed to hit, change sometimes does take years and years and years, but often, what it is, is that person isn't actually ready for that change. Mm-hmm. But when someone is ready, I mean, you know, talk about phobias, or something that happens as a result of a trauma, how long does it take for someone to pick up a phobia? It's an instant, mm-hmm. right? Right. Something happens, they get bit by a dog or stung by a bee when they were little, and boom, Mm -hmm. right? The last client that this worked with, he had some really crazy, and I I mean, I, I told him, yeah, that's terrifying. The plane was going in for a landing, and just like literally 10 feet above the ground, it suddenly shot right back up because some plane in the airport misread air traffic control and entered the runway when they weren't supposed to. Oh, right. Wow. So, you that's, know, yeah, that's, that's terrifying. Scary. Yep. That's scary, right? But for this individual, that created 15 years of, you know, extreme paranoia and fear to the point where the guy was crying, relaying, and I understand it, right? Relaying the story of what it's like to fly for him,
2: right? Mm-hmm.
1: Half an hour later, you know, because, you know, there's methods using hypnosis to effectively let him. Relive that in a safe way, but in a way that listen. This things happen, and he's fine. He came out fine on the other end, and suddenly he can recall that entire event and not be emotional no, about I it. All. <laughs> it was so funny because he's like blinking his eyes, and he's like, "You just like rewired my brain," and I'm like, "Yeah, that's kind of what we do." <laughs> well,
0: and I think that that's true. I think but that's yeah, a really that's valid exactly point it. that that people yeah. can change. That you know, some people take forever to change, but
1: I don't know. But they're say. not ready, and that's what it always is. You know. And that's the thing, too. Like, when I work with individuals, I'm like, listen, don't worry about the how, but tell me you want it, Mm -hmm. right? If you're being forced, you know, like if someone says, you know, why are you calling me? And they're like, well, you know, my wife or my girlfriend or my mother or father, they want me here, right? Mm. I'm always very politely, I'm like, listen, you know, I'd love to be able to help. I've been doing this for long enough that I know that it doesn't matter you know, who I am. I can be Mother Teresa or Gandhi or, right. Jesus or any of that until you pick up the phone out of your own accord and say, yes, I want this change. Leave the how to me, right? But the person has to want it themselves, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it can happen very quickly.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, I think that it's just... I kind of, like, I think it's about standards. I think that's really what it comes down to. Like, there's things... I don't want to take this call on a totally different avenue. Like, I understand Mm. that a lot of people can be very sensitive about weight. And, you know, my family, my mom, till she became diabetic, was really obese. My adopted mom, my biological mom, I met her, she's very obese. You know, like, there's just a lot of that in life. But I think that there's, like, when people talk about fat shaming or, like, when Cosmo puts an extremely obese woman on the cover – that upsets me because I think the standards are being perverted. Where, like, you're not a bad person if you're overweight. That's not true at all. Right? Yeah. Like, th- your value is not in your physical being. That's not where your worth comes from. But it doesn't mean we should change our standards because there's a reason why we find certain things appealing. Because they are indicators of health and longevity and vitality. And when you make it mm-hmm. okay for someone to be 350 pounds, you're perverting... A standard and so what you're talking about like people you know they didn't want you to set the expect have the standard that people could change in a day and I that's what like upsets me about that because I feel like that's a terrible like I remember I had a staff member once and we do this thing three key metrics every week depending on the department each department or person is graded by three key metrics that define world class of what they do. And sometimes it's an intangible, mm-hmm. like were you, were you proactive this week on a scale of one to ten? That's an intangible, but we would try to make it tangible. And there is one person on my team who was having a hard time maintaining. We try to have an average of 8.5 out of 10, and she was having a hard time staying above seven. And so what happened was, is the the manager started making things easier for her. And started like, you know, and like, and and I'm just like, you're not, like, the goal's not there. Like, it's not about participation. Like, life is not a participation yeah. event. Like, there's a reason why we value competition. And so, instead, we yeah. moved her to a different position where we kept, maintained our standards. And I was wondering why this area of the business was, was floundering. And it's because somebody changed the standard. They changed the standard. They were like, yeah. oh, so and so struggling. We don't want him to feel bad. So, we're going to lower the criteria for success. And I said, that is fucking ridiculous what are you doing we put her we put her in a different position we trained her up for a role that better fit her skill set and she went from struggling to get seven out of tens to getting nine out of tens on a weekly basis you know like it was just it was fantastic and it's just it's that all oh, by maintaining the st- So same thing with you in the call. Maybe the standard isn't you can't change one call, but the standard is do you really want to change? And that should be something that should be presented. Like, are you interested or are you really committed? And start diving into people's whys. This is actually salesmanship, diving into people's whys because they dance around it and they fail to take action and they mm-hmm. fail to gain clarity over why they should do direction in their lives. And so, I'm just I'm again I yeah. you're hitting. I don't know no, if you're I'd NLPing probably, hypnotizing I'd me. Get off. But you're getting like, you're hitting <laughs> no, these I pain really
1: points. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think exactly in my world, you know, we'll call that a uh, value elicitation and, and principles. You know, people are always complaining mm. about, oh, I don't have the motivation, right? And mm. it's like, can you help me with motivation? And I'm like, you don't have a motivation problem, right? Yeah. It's about values. It's yeah. about principles. Like, for example, what is something that's most important to you? If I'm working with a parent, I'll usually say, oh, my kids are the most important thing in my life. And I'm like, okay, well, let's pretend it's 3 o'clock a.m. in the middle of the night. And, you know, your child gives you a call and they're, they're stuck somewhere, they're abandoned somewhere, and they totally need your help. Do you need motivation to get your you yeah. know, butt out of bed and go help them? It's like, no, you're not going to think twice about it. You're going to be on your feet, out the door, right? Because that's for you, the value as far as the hierarchy goes, it's like right up there.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so when we have these standards that are constantly being compromised, you know, one of my mentors recently said that, you know, we're starting to enter this really weird place in the world where suddenly everyone's right and everything's okay. And It's like, that's not a good thing. People yeah. lose themselves into, you know, I'm like, no, there's, there are such things as ethics and morals and consciousness. Mm-hmm. And there should be, because if there isn't, well, that begins to explain why we have these school systems that are, you know, like someone, one of my teacher friends has told me in high school here in Ontario, apparently I don't know if it's true or not, but... That's what they said, that a high school teacher is no longer allowed to fail a student.
0: That's ridiculous.
1: Right? And they have to find ways. Oh, here, do some more extra assignments. And teachers are so you know, overburnt and, you know, overwhelmed by this ridiculousness that the teachers themselves are just kind of checking out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, okay, yes, yes, just, just do something. You know what? I don't know, just go on the internet and Copy and paste an assignment. I don't care. Just I, I got to show the principle that, you know, I gave you a chance just so I can pass you. Mm-hmm. Right. Like these are the, the attitudes and that's exactly what it is. I mean, it's not just with weight, but when the expectations of what is a high standard has dropped, <laughs> yeah. you know, because we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. Well, we're getting a whole. What did I publish? Uh, something posted something on Facebook around self-esteem. Right for kids, and it was a tip for parents that self-esteem isn't, you know, isn't um, a kid doesn't get their self-esteem by you constantly telling them that they're great or that they're wonderful. Yep. Right? Simply by saying that, that's not self-esteem. Self-esteem is something that we get by doing something, and especially if we fail at it. Yep. But then we learn from the experience, and then we're able to grow from that. And then we do it, and now it's like, oh wow, I can do it. That's self-esteem, that's the self-esteem no one can take away. Yep,
2: yep,
0: yep, yep. That's exactly it. I think it's people are afraid of having those. Teachers are afraid of having those parent-teacher conferences and imposing demands that maybe the teachers can't live up to themselves. Um, in certain yeah. cases, like it's it's kind of like that. But again, it comes back to the standards you have. Like it's it's just it gets really dangerous when. So it's this constant battle between freedom and equality. So people want mm-hmm. to be equal because they want things to be, be fair. And that's so they want things to be equal. But what people, what we've learned repeatedly through this battle of theologies in terms of economic systems is that when everything is equal, there's no incentive for anyone to improve a process, to perform, uh, to produce at a high level. And we require production in order to achieve things, to achieve goals in a reasonable, right? Or to achieve progress in a reasonable amount of time or achieve a goal. There has to be like strife and effort towards it. And the problem is when everything is equal, the people who are really good don't feel rewarded or incentivized to flex those muscles and to develop those skills. And people don't feel incentivized to become good. Like if you're playing a video game that nobody can win, then what's the point of playing? Right? Like, if you can't win, why do you want to – you don't want to play. And that's the whole – gamification is about increasing challenge and competition, whether it's with you or inanimate objects, to the point where you're in kind of a peak state where it's just challenging enough but not so challenging you're overwhelmed. And, the, like, again, it comes down to – when everything's equal – there's no reason for anyone to stand above and to succeed, and so that's when things start leaning towards freedom. But <clears throat> when we have a free society, now there's inequality because not everyone is equally skilled. So skill yes. tends to get the best rewards.
1: Like equality, and I don't know if you remember this picture. Something like, you know, equality does not necessarily mean equity or something, mm-hmm, right?
2: Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But
1: it was like this picture of like these you know, different height kids trying to look over a fence, but if they all were given the exact same height stool, well, then not everyone would be able to see. Right. You know, some people need a bigger stool, because or a right. bigger ladder, because then they can all see, right? But if they all were given the exact same, right? Yeah, but even but, the school system, I mean, they have to teach at Really, the piece of like the Lord's kid. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Yeah, well, and that yeah. comes and that that comes from forcing people into a public education system where, and I, I get it because I came like I was an orphan. My family is very not well to do. Mm. I was adopted into a kind of a middle middle class family which is great for me thank goodness i was a fortunate yeah. you know like thank goodness i was born like i mean thank goodness i was born in canada and not in you know some other yeah. country under a massive dictatorship where you have no rights no you know and it's like a a life of of servitude in the worst way because, uh, I mean, serving is not a bad thing, but it can be. I don't like a tangent here. But that freedom versus equality thing, like you said, there's a huge push. Like everyone's supposed to be equal and everyone has to have rights. And I think everyone does deserve rights. And I don't think sure. that as a man I deserve more than others. But I think that we just have to be really careful about erasing really critical standards and principles of life. And one of that is that it's it's over-pandering. it's pandering. It's like it's like you say, like a lot of these people, they just there's, – there's that – and i think people are hungry. i didn't finish that sentence but people i think people are hungry for that accountability and responsibility and that real talk like i think that's a i think that's yeah. true i think people are starved for it but it's also a fear of who wants to stand up first cuz sometimes the, the nail that sticks out is the one that gets the hammer type thing but it's just it's not oh. like yeah life is supposed to be a challenge and for some people they just have no challenge like oh i i was guided to this career and i took this job and i pay my bills and I'm, my life is consumed by work and oh woe is me because I don't have any sense of meaning and purpose and I think those are like those are the deeper real things we have to talk about um, not stuffing people full of pills and I just think that sorry sorry yeah
1: well, you know. yeah I mean that kind of brings us full circle but a lot of like individuals that I end up working with I mean there's a lot of work that I do with individuals that had trauma in their life maybe there was rape or abuse when they were when they were young and They've still been holding on to that, and, you know, it, we can totally, you know, like I said, we can't change history, right? Mm-hmm. I think you got that off my website, but absolutely we can change our relationship to our history. I mean,
2: yes,
1: you know, yes, it's possible to take something so severe as trauma and rape, and I will make, and I'm okay equating that to, you know, you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off, right? And it's someone pisses you off, right, but then the next week you're over it it is totally possible to be finally over that to the abuse and the rape so that it's in the past right in the you like yes it happened but it no longer has any sort of hold on you in the in the present
2: right? Yeah.
1: Um, but i do a lot of work at the same time with individuals who you know find themselves and there's nothing wrong other than the fact that it's exactly what you said what's missing from their life is a sense of purpose and mission, right? I mean, like this work that I do, it's 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 generally because I actually give a shit mm-hmm. about uh, you know, where the world is going and my concern for my fellow human being. Right? I, I think we've gotten too worried about well, one, we're a highly litigious
2: society
1: mm-hmm. now that there's all of the, all of these rules are in place because, you know, we don't want to get sued for something, right? Mm-hmm. But like people are just afraid to make a mistake and they're afraid to get real. I get a lot of, you know, people who are getting into what I do and they'll give me a call and be like, hey, Mohammed, you know, I got a client that's coming with ABC, you know, what protocol should I run, right? And I'm like, what do you mean protocol? i like, oh, you know, well, we learn a lot of these different tools, right? And I'll have to get into jargon too, you know, to truly explain that. But the thing is they're looking for some sort of a script to read, and that's going to make it go away. And I'm always like, no, there's a human
2: being. It's your uh-huh.
1: fellow brother and sister in humanity sitting across, you know, the chair or on the other side of a Skype call or a Zoom call, right? Like, they're the protocol. Like, be with them. You know, they're going to uh-huh. tell you exactly what it is to do. And there is no necessarily right answer, but you got to you gotta be willing to get real and get into the depth and work through this uh, stuff.
0: I agree. So, yeah. And that yeah. human connection part. I think is a really big piece of this that a lot of people now it, it's just, it's chasing the wrong things in some respects. I just don't. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that we do, right. You know, we've extended our life expectancies. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we, we take care of the poor. There's, we're bringing people out of poverty. There's a lot we're doing, right. But I don't think it means we get to sit back on our back and relax. And so let me ask you this is, is meditation a substitute for, like mental mechanic work? Like what I mean is, can I meditate mm-hmm. my problems away? Is
1: that? So here's how I answer that. I say that all meditation is definitely a form of hypnosis. But I, I wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. say that hypnosis is meditation. And, mm-hmm. and here's what I mean by that. Meditation is all about being present. So if you imagine, if you've got like a radio, you know, and there's all this like noise, that's playing on the radio, Mm. meditation is like having access to the volume, right? You can Mm. turn it down, all the way down, so it's nice and, you know, silent. Hypnosis, on the other hand, is like having access to the tune, you know, dial, where you can not only change the station, but actually you can program the station. So it's not just about turning it down, your thoughts, but it's like rewriting. Mm. And, you Mm. know, I can't remember whose line it was, but... Oh, Brendan Burchard, I love that guy. I listen to his po- uh, podcast, right? But, you know, he says a lot of people are like, oh, I need to rewire my brain, right? But most people, they've never wired their brains to begin with. Society has done it for them. But they mm. can't just ever done the exercise of what do I want? What do I want my life to be about? You know, what is the, you know, the legacy, you know? what is it that I believe in, like truly me, not what my mother told me, my father or my neighbors or my, you know, my teachers, you know, what am I, what do I really believe in? You know, can I live according to that, uh, be congruent in, in my behaviors? Uh, most people don't do that exercise. And it's kind of like getting in the car with like no destination. They're just driving around. You go in circles. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, most people live their entire life like that. You know this, right? Yep. We've chatted about this in previous calls. <laughs> yep. But so that's really what it is. You know, meditation is, wonderful. I recommend it. It's something that I practice. I have one of those news. I'm a big techie, so I have one of those news headbands, you know, which actually (laughs) gives like real-time feedback if, you know, if if I'm centered and and I've I've managed to clear my mind. I'm a big floating guy. I love those sensory deprivation tanks, right? Uh, Hypnosis, that's just like right down to the unconscious level and writing the programs, writing the stories that you want to tell yourself.
0: Yeah, so can we talk about this? How do we rewrite yeah. a story? How do we how do you re how do you I guess recreate yourself in your ment like as a mental image and what your potential cuz the other part is you know, the past may not predict the future, but a lot of people might think the past indicates what they're capable of. So how do you you know, how do you rewrite your story and also what your potential could be?
1: So the how part is actually pretty easy right you literally close your eyes and you imagine you visualize you know like visualization exercises There's a number of studies done on you know the power of visualization and goal setting and everything right where people struggle is the belief aspect they don't get it they don't understand that actually it can be that easy i mean you know of course working with a hypnotist that makes it easier (laughs) right but let me give you an example what i mean by this so You go to – this is reality. You go to a restaurant and you might – are you a steak eater at all? Are you – Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love – I love – Quality. I love – Yeah. Plants and protein.
0: So fruits, veggies, meat, dairy, eggs. That's – I try to limit my food. I still, like, you know, eat other junk. But for the most part, I exclusively eat plants and protein. No pasta. No refined sugars. None of that stuff,
1: but I love steak, steak Basically, the stuff that was only available a hundred years ago, right?
0: The, the stuff that comes from Basically, a farm yeah. or the stuff that rots, <laughs> yeah. the stuff that goes bad if you don't eat it in a couple of days. Like yeah. have to go grocery shopping That's two or exactly. three times a week because real food rots. So, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry, no, you know. exactly.
1: Yeah, okay. So, you know, you go to a restaurant, you get the menu, and, and it's the steakhouse, and you're going through all the pictures and the descriptions of whatever this, you know, let's say, flamingon or a, you know, particular ribeye that's caught your caught your attention. Now, we know consciously that the picture that we're looking at and the description is not the actual steak. Mm. We're not going to eat the menu;
2: right. it's
1: a representation, and we know it's really a distortion of what is going to be the actual steak. And but we make our decisions as if it's real. You know, we see the picture, we read the description. And we're like, this is real, therefore we say, yes, I'll have one. And sometimes when we make that decision, you know, this day comes and we're totally disappointed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes we're like, oh, wow, this is way better than I, even better than the picture and the description, right? Mm-hmm. But the point is that we walk through life making decisions based on representations and based on distortions. What are those representations? What are those distortions? That's the past. Mm. Just because this happened to me in the past, therefore it's going to happen to me again. Mm. Just because I, you know, dropped out of school, right? I mean, it's funny, like, when I was a little kid, uh, I don't remember doing this. I vaguely remember, actually, I I have a pretty good recollection of how I was when I was two, three years old, but... You know, my grandfather, I remember this, he would always tell me these stories of how I would walk, uh, ride my little tricycle around the house with a little medical kit, you know, like a toy medical kit, right? right. And for like up until, until before I discovered computers,
2: mm-hmm.
1: my love was I was gonna be a doctor, hmm. right? And then I drop out of school, and here I am now running workshops where physicians are attending because apparently hypnosis is a faster, better way of dealing for anxiety and depression than drugs. Mm. Right. So there is light. There are physicians who are like, okay, we get it. And we admit that the antidepressants don't really do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, again, going, that's what it is. It's like understanding that really, yes, it happened, but is just a distortion. It's a representation. But we act as if it's still real. We act as if it's still true, you know. Yep. I you have your, you have your, yeah, you have your, yeah, and just really another quick example, you have a co-worker, you know, who is always, you know, making off-color remarks and disrupting meetings and all of that, you know, well, that was learned behavior because in grade six, being that kid who would crack a joke, well, guess what, it was cool, you know, it got him girls, it got him attention, he was the cool kid, so that was something that made sense before, but Somewhere along the way, that part never really grew up, but still, you know, doing the same thing. So that's another way our past as the, as the, the distortion or representation of, uh, of the present. And it comes up.
0: So then how do we, are there any habits or routines or rituals that, like, is there any sort of mental health maintenance that we can do on a regular basis? Or how do we chip away and creating this vision for self and overcoming our self-limiting beliefs?
2: Well,
1: here's an exercise that I found really beneficial when I first started getting into this stuff. It was done in one of my training courses is you make a list <laughs> and you just write everything you want, the big and the small, possible, or even if it's like, you know, a complete fantasy, like I want to be able to fly like Superman, <laughs> right? So even that mm-hmm. stuff goes on this list, mm-hmm. right? But you know, I want to have you know this much money. I want to have this sort of you know this sort of life, this sort of health, this sort of sex, you know, all of that sort of stuff, right? And you just keep going, like small things, you know, silly things, real things, and you know, try to fill up ten pages. It's totally possible. (laughs) Some people are like ten pages. I I can't think of more than five things that I want, right? But because you know, once you force yourself, what that also does is, you know, the reason we can't in the moment think of more than 5 or 10 things that we want is because we're thinking from this limited place that we're already in mm. right but when you force yourself I have to come up with like 10 pages then eventually the the creative part the dreamer that is inside all of us kicks in and we just start having fun with this and so you then you have your list of you know 10 pages of all these things you find yourself some corner where you're not going to be disturbed and you stand up straight And I mean straight, symmetrical, you know, chest up, you know, belly breathing, you know, head straight, eyes straight. And you say, I want to be able to fly like Superman. I want to live in this beautiful condo with a a view of, you know, facing the sunset every single day, right? Mm -hmm. I want, you know, this, I'm not really into cars. So I, I want, I don't know, a Porsche or something, right? So you, you know, you state everything in the I want. And then what you do, it's, it's really cool. And, it, it like, it sounds simple, but when you go through this exercise, it becomes very, very real, very fast, is you then repeat the whole list and you say it as if you mean it. You say with full congruency, I have, or I am. I am able to fly like Superman. You know, yeah. I am living in this, right? That's sort of an exercise. You do, like, really, I mean, doing it every day. You don't have to do that. But, like, doing it once a quarter, once even a month, you know, especially get yourself going, the language that you use, I am statements, that is hypnosis. Mm. Right. And when you say it with congruence, you know, that becomes real. In fact, I mean, one of the things that, you know, most parents don't get is the way these, st- uh, the way hypnosis works is basically, You get someone emotional and you tell them to do something. You get someone emotional and you say a statement. And that statement bypasses what we call the critical faculty or uh, the firewall of our brain and it goes right into the unconscious as if it's real,
2: Hmm. right? So now you
1: have these parents, you know, the kids are looking up to them so they have this prestige, right? You know, and the kid is doing something. Maybe they're crying, maybe they're in trouble. And then the parent says something like, oh, you're no good. Mm. Right? That's hypnosis. That just became real. The kid's getting a little bit worked up. Brand new, uh, you know, they're going to speak in front of the school. The first presentation, like, you know, a little, a little bit of like, you know, uh, uneasiness, a little feeling of unknown. The parent goes up to them and says, oh, are you nervous? Boom! Oh, hypnosis. They just learned how to be nervous for the rest of their life around public speaking. A child is only born with two fears, the fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. Everything else they've learned or they've been hypnotized <laughs> you know? So that's really it. So, you know, get yourself emotional. Focus on someone you love. Focus on a passion that's meaningful for you and then use language like I am totally gonna kick butt today, I'm totally gonna win the day, you know, I'm totally gonna be confident, I'm totally gonna be grateful.
2: That's sad you know, I talk. am you know, As we call that yeah the savage talk. Like, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's yeah.
1: It. Like, I you know, am that's a winner. So I'm cool. going to
0: do this. I'm yeah. You yeah. I'm all amped up.
1: There's, yeah, like you can hear it in my voice, I'm getting amped up to think. <laughs> yeah, that's savage talk. Yeah.
0: That's on my daily to do list.
1: So yeah, there's some stuff there. And if you go to my website, there's there's a bunch of resources that you know people can download in terms of you know exercises around you know designing your lifestyle and different things like that, but I
0: love that. I love that. I call that life by design. I've always talked about that. It's never been from, through hypnosis and that, but I've had a firm belief that, you know, that we have more, we can exercise more of our will on ourselves in this world than most people even dare to try. Like, why? Mm -hmm. Like, everything, you can just sculpt it. It's not, you weren't born into some color in between the lines space. Like, it's, you can literally create, Basically, whatever you want. Like my dog, I love my dog, but regrettably, my dog is only ever going to do the four or five things a dog can do. Maybe there's some dogs mm-hmm. that were trained special tricks, and that was an exception. But generally speaking, most dogs only do these things. But humans, humans can do anything. We're phenomenal. You can walk on the moon. You can touch the bottom of the ocean. You can fly in the sky like a bird. You can walk on your hands. You handstand walk. You can learn ballet. You can learn a new language. Like you can, you can invent something new. You can split atoms. Like you can do. So yeah. much, like there's just so much, like what do you, just just, uh, just use your imagination, I love how you talked about that, that you have to get yourself into a creative state of mind, because I think that's really important, I think that there's a lot of, I get into this too, like I'm a doer, and so I just want to do, do, mm. do, we make it to do this, be productive, yeah, go, 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 but I think it's important to have pauses and breaks and c- space for creative, unproductive time. Like in Canada, you're Canadian, so whatever. Marijuana was just legalized. Yeah. And before it was legal, I used to use it because I found that even though I might not be as productive, it was a, it, just like sound is music, silence is part of music as well. You need silence in order to emphasize the yeah. sound. And I find that just by sometimes it would – for me, and you can do this through meditation a lot of other ways. You don't need to use substance substances, but it allowed me to be creative sometimes and to not just be worried about like was I productive enough today you know, am I on the right track? Like, you know, get rid of all that, and then just start suddenly just relax, be calm, and be creative and playful. And that's really yeah. where the magic happens. Like, even we talked about peak performance before. Peak performance is where you get, like, in and a lot of top achievers they get to this place where the stress causes them to be, become more present, more focused. And it's not stress of like, will I succeed? It becomes a fun, playful, creative thing for them. And that's where a lot of peak performance stuff happens. So I love that you talk. Your emphasis wasn't on competition, wasn't on scarcity, wasn't on all that, wasn't about escaping your past or anything. It was about having fun, dreaming, being playful being creative and imagining a new future and then just creating a bunch of i am statements around that that you repeat on a regular basis that you know you helped used to identify yourself uh, identify with maybe even setting up some sort of trigger to remind yourself so if anytime if you think of something and it makes you think of something negative instead start trying to have that trigger instead of it being negative continue the story maybe it starts off negative but then it turns into a positive really quickly I actually used to do that all the time when I I used to have a fear and a doubt in my mind. I used to imagine in my mind that fear and doubt like the blackness of my mind would fold up like a blanket when you wrap something up over a blanket in the middle. And it would just get sucked down and then it would re-sprout as a flower or a gift or a present or something like that. And that's just been my mental trick that I've used forever like that. Anytime I had fear or doubt or anxiety, I would just fold up my mind and it would like swallow it. And spit out something else. It was almost like when you roll the dice, you're like, I don't like that one. Let me roll the dice again. Let me roll the Like, you know, I just keep going till like, I get a dice yeah. roll that I like. And I think that that's just a really, like, there's none of this does taught in school. And it's a real disappointing. I just talked to a friend yesterday about um, they're going to school to become an architect and a structural mm-hmm. engineer. And I sent them some drawings and stuff to, like wanted their input on. And they're they're about to pass the exam and, like, be done school and all this stuff. I send them some drawing stuff. They're like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not at that yet. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I don't know their program or anything, but I'm like, I just, I was so confused because I'm like, I don't get it. Like, this is the trade. Like, this is it. What do you, what have you been in school for four something years for? What do you mean you can't, you don't understand this stuff? Like, isn't that what you're in school for? Like, what, what do they have you doing? Like, I just don't, I just don't get it. It's like, yeah. anyways, but I might be speaking out of step regards to the structural engineer and architect i may not i I may be speaking of things i don't know in that respect but i just feel that in some ways you know we go to school and they force you to take all these programs and a lot of them people like i'm never going to use this and then there's lots of things that don't get put in like personal like time management and right and like uh, managing your own finances and stuff like this like managing your own states of emotion you know like the value of
1: competition sorry go ahead the actual, no, I'm just saying I agree with you. I'm saying the actual stuff required to live life isn't actually there. I mean, you know, like, I've been in Canada. I wasn't born here, right? But I've been living here since I was seven years old. So I went through the school system here, right? And I'm still completely oblivious of what my MP actually does. You know, you think I should know that or what mm. my counselor, you know, city counselor actually does, right? Like, mm-hmm. I do not really know. They always say contact because if you knew anything, I'm like, like, but what, like, you know, like, what do I, what do I go to you for, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, what are you here for other than yeah, money for and me? from investments and just yeah, this emotional. So, so one of the things I like to do is I like to do pro bono workshops for teachers' PD days where I'll go in and teach the staff with some of these things, mm. right? Because you know, I had a lot of bad teachers in my life, but I had luckily a handful of really, really good teachers that totally changed, you know, you know, my course of life. And I, and I really want that teachers to understand that you have this opportunity here. It's not just a job. Well, if you think of it as a job, like I'm just coming to work, then of course that's all you're gonna take out of it, right? But if you if you realize that there's an opportunity here to shape, you know, the next leader, the next inventor, the next poet, the next writer, the next singer, right? And that's how they show up every day. That's going to change the entire educational system, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I really like, though, kind of circling back a bit, um, or I guess going back a bit about, you know, you picking up on the fact that we need to access our creative part, that we need to access our dreamer part, and we need that space to just do nothing because that's actually when the work actually happens, when our brain is filled with stuff, right? Right. You know, we're always in this constant go, 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 and we're always like the dopamine's overloaded, right? But it's not until you know we can settle our thoughts and be doing nothing that unstructured place, exactly. Especially with kid, you know, kids. You know, I have yeah. I have a, a nine year old, almost ten in a, in a few months, and you know, <laughs> when he comes and says, "I got nothing to do, I'm bored," I'm like, "Wonderful, <laughs> that's enjoy it, it. Yeah. right? <laughs> yeah." And whereas we have these parents who are like. I'm like, oh, I got to take my kid to this camp and, camp, and then that camp, and then that camp, and then that camp. And what we have, and here's the perfect metaphor for it, you know, there was someone over at our house, a child, right? It's just that they might listen to this podcast. I don't want, to, you know? <laughs> I don't want them sure. to feel that. <laughs> or the parent to feel that. But there was someone over at their house, and I was very, very upset because he lost the manual, the instructions of a Lego set that you know they received right and I'm like what are you upset about he's like well I can't play with it now and I was like what he's like I don't know what it's to, how to build it I am like do you have the box and he's like yeah and I'm like "I just look at the box and make it he's like but it won't be like what if I get something wrong and I'm like it's okay mm-hmm. you know and you don't even have to make that thing on the box it's lego oh yeah. Right? Yeah. I, lost, I mean, I lost the
0: box. What do when I, do I was now? five years
1: old, all my toys, I had every toy in the world. I had cars. I had rocket ships. I had swords. I had nunchucks. Yep. You know, I had that little, you know, um, I used to watch Ghostbusters as well. That's what I grew up with. And, you know, the thing that stuck <laughs> the ghosts in, right? My parents didn't buy me any of that stuff. I just had Lego. So I made it, right? That's and awesome. I pretended that that's what they were, right? It was all Lego. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. yeah, Yeah. so the world's changing, and at the same time, I think I'm very grateful to be connecting with individuals like yourself because, you know, there's, there's enough of us out there that I really do feel that there is going to be a tipping point where we're finally going to um, kind of wake up. And, you know, being completely transparent with you, there's a part of me that kind of feels sad that I have to do what I do hmm. because, you know, I really feel that, you know, we should all have these capacities. It's like this whole sort of concept of a life coach, right? And don't get me started on these 21-year-olds who are like, oh, I'm a life coach. I was like, live a little <laughs> bit of life first, right? right. <laughs> you got know? the 21-year-old giving marriage advice. So like You know, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's a different tangent. Now I lost my train of thought because I'm thinking, what was I saying?
0: You were talking about how it's sad that life, like,
1: you're sad about having to call yourself a life coach. Yes, because I think, I really think there was a time where we just had meaningful relationships and people that were grounded. You know, we had, you know, the village raised us, that we just had enough people in our lives that genuinely cared and were present that, if anyone decided to be like, oh, I'm a life coach and I'm going to charge $200 an hour to help you, it'd be completely a bad mm-hmm. business move because everyone would be like, yeah, that's what I got my best friend for and I got my father and I got my uncle and I got my neighbor and I mm. got so-and-so down the street and I got the guys, you know, selling groceries to give me that sort of support, right? So I think we're getting to that tipping point where all we're going to wake up and then suddenly, you know, hopefully I'm going to find myself out of a job. So, But mm. I'll reinvent myself i'm creative right? So. right that's
0: right that's <laughs> right
1: yeah
0: so, well um, yeah. so what's next what's next what are you what are you working on now what's hap what's what's the next thing like you're sad about the life coach thing you've done a bunch of volunteer stuff you just spoke in vegas what's next
1: well no i mean i'm still because the demand is there i'm still doing i'm still seeing clients i'm still doing workshops and stuff but you know what happened here's what's next something that's been staring in front of my face this whole time And it came out of a simple conversation that lasts no more than five minutes uh, with one of the uh, fellow speakers in Vegas, right? And that is this. I have a huge heart for working with kids. I mean, the volunteer work and, you know, but whenever a child is brought to me, there's always been this part of me that says, you know, like, yeah, I can help this kid out. And I do help this kid out. But I kind of wish that it was the parent who was doing it, Mm. right? And so... And then I get all these adults that are, you know, 40 years old, 50 years old, you know, and they had trauma, 30 years old, they've had trauma in their life, and they've been living with it for 25, 30 years, right? And the, the what's next is I'm totally now going to be coming out with a program where I can pack the room with parents, and I'm going to teach parents exactly the power you know everything from the power of language to some of the, the hypnosis stuff some of the NLP stuff so that they can raise their kids to be these empowered wonderful human beings that they have the full potential to make sure these kids don't get hypnotized by the system right so it's mm. going to be the actual you know train the parents to be me in a way yeah right so so okay. that's what I'm looking forward to because why go through having 25 years of anxiety or depression or any of this trauma or a phobia and i had a guy who hadn't been in an elevator by himself for 27 years before he realized that oh there's someone that can help me. You, you know with this so why go through that i mean if we can if we can arm the parents so they can you know take care of the kids when they're still young that's, that's event, gonna change the whole game all... so i'm really excited about that yeah, exactly. I'm really excited about that. So I think that's, that's what's next for me.
0: I think that's really important. I think that's a really, really key part. I think there's a lot of people I know, even myself as a new parent, constantly wondering, like, yeah, you know, are we doing okay? Things seem to be going okay now, but how do you, how do you prevent problems before they start, and how do you turn things around? Especially as a parent, like, you're responsible for the culture of your family, and I think the culture <laughs> is a huge, huge factor in, like, determining... Uh, I mean, culture indicates the habits, the routines, the approaches, the responses to everything that your family interacts with. How do you engage with a political crisis? How do you engage with a health crisis? How do you engage with just an emotional crisis in the family? You know, how do you... Yeah, so I think that any sort of training about that and understanding how to communicate better and how to get through to your children, I think, as well, is time well spent. And I think parenting is a really... I mean, I think it's unfortunate more people don't have kids in North America. I'm, I'm in Asia. I'm in Vietnam mm. at the time of this recording. And traveling Southeast Asia, everybody here has got like three, four, five kids. And I just, I feel like, again, it comes back to part. Some people are like forgetting about like, what's the point of it? You know, like it's,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's really easy to have an image of success for finances or for fitness or maybe who your partner is. But there's not as easy to see – again, this is where I feel like the education system should have stepped in because it's something that's meaningful. But, like, what is success in death? And I always struggled with that because I didn't really know. Yeah. And then I had an issue where I was in San Diego for two years, and I came home for Christmas, and I tried to go back – and I couldn't get across the border. The same thing I'd used the two previous times. I got some guy that was just jealous. I, I feel, my opinion is, he was jealous about the money I was being paid. And so he decided to mm-hmm. throw a rock in a, into my gears and mess up my life. And so I ended up stuck in Canada waiting for this thing to sort out, which ended up taking three years. And then i going, oh, you're right. It was a big misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Power tripping. Anyways, all right. So but yeah. while I was stuck, I thought it was just going to be because I didn't do anything wrong. I was like, oh, it's going to be a week or two and then I'm going to go back. Oh, it's going to be a month and then I'm going to go back. It's going to be a month or two. I'm going to go back. So I was hanging out at my wow, parents' house and their neighbor, Doug, he had had five kids and I grew up with his kids. And he'd been diagnosed with leukemia years back. And I was busy in my life. And, you know, like I heard about it, like, oh, that's unfortunate. But now that I was kind of hung out, hanging out at my parents' place in the middle of winter, I would go over and visit him a couple doors down. And I would visit him a couple times a week. And over the months that I was there, you know, he ups and downs. And one day I went to visit and he was really kind of quiet, not really talking, seemed kind of weak. I brought him his favorite drink, coffee, two cream. And so I just chatted with everybody else in the house and then I went home. And 20 minutes later, there was a knock on my door. It was one of the neighbors saying, Doug, Doug had just passed. And I went back over to the house okay. and it had been seven years and a day since he was diagnosed with leukemia. and The doctors told him he had six months to live, but he lived seven years and a day. And I walked back to his house and when I got to his house... I walk inside, there was me, there was another neighbor, he was a religious man, so his pastor was there, his pastor's wife was there, he had five kids, all of his five kids were there, all of his kids have at least one child, they were all there, and I'm sitting there, like while Doug's laying there in this bed, he went from like pink to, I think he went from three colors, pink, white, yellow, I think is what it stopped off as when the circulation finally stopped flowing and we we're all sitting there. We're like crying and laughing and talking. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at all these people and I'm looking around the walls and I see all these like, we love you, grandpa, get well soon, Bumpa and pictures of him with his grandkids and family and stuff. And I realized like, this is it. This is as glamorous as it gets. Like to die yeah. in a house where you raised your five kids and a house where your like friends and family and neighbors have come over to see you and to mourn your passing. Like that's it. The only other alternative yeah. is like alone in a hospital bed. Do you know what I mean? Or at your desk in an office. And that was a big wake yeah. up call to me just in terms of, cause I, I pursued, I'd made, I'd help people make millions of dollars in business. And you know, I have, I have six pack abs, you know, like I go to the gym five days a week, six days a week, just out of routine. And like, you know, like that. So it just was a big, I think that's really meaningful. It's incredibly meaningful that you work on the inside And, and you think about, you know, your life at the end, you know, do you, do you want to be estranged from your family and friends? Do you want, you know, do you want to have that down there? Well then fix it now. I know that we're reaching up upon the end of the, um, the end of the call, but
2: Mm.
0: on regrets of dying. I love,
1: no, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, you know, like at the end of it, it's all about the relationships. It's about what the, you know what we've done, and that's you know one of my motivators. You know, I think I have it on my LinkedIn profile. Like, you know, what, the why behind the hustle. I mean, like all of this is, you know, um <laughs> you know, I say that I want that when I die for the place to be just packed. Mm-hmm. You know, with with people, and and all that is is just a representation that I actually made a difference in someone's life,
2: mm.
1: right? And and that's you know, I think we we all you know i firmly believe that mankind is at its best and performs its best when we are working towards something bigger than ourselves
2: Hmm.
1: right and that is never a draining thing right Hmm. we can everything else ultimately it's draining like you know we work our butts off to make money and then what ends up happening you know we'll buy a car and now we gotta maintain that car i mean like i kind of went through this cycle you know not not with, like, you know, like, super expensive stuff, but, like, being that gadget lover. You know, like, I, I you know, spend, like, I want to spend like, almost three grand on a radio-controlled car. Like, come on, right?
2: <laughs> and,
1: you know, it was a ton of fun while I had it, but now it's, like, you know, it sits in the collar and all of the emotional guilt that I have of not only did I spend this time when I could have probably spent that time with, like, a loved one, right? Uh, it was fun, you know, don't get me wrong, but now it's just sitting there. And I'm out that time and now I'm losing, you know, this is what happens. People lose themselves to that feeling of, you know, oh, it's sitting there. I should play with it. And that's another cycle. People lose themselves too, right? So like, mm-hmm. you know, eventually I've gotten really good at over the years is like cut my <laughs> losses short. It's like, okay, I did it, done. Donate to someone else, you know, let them play with it, mm-hmm. right? But. Um, you know, at the end of it, uh, no one is ever going to complain on their last breath that they didn't work hard enough, they didn't make enough money, they didn't do that. It's all about the relationships that they were ma- managed to build and who they were able to affect and impact, because that is always renewing and that lives. That lives long.
2: Right?
0: Mm.
1: That always lives forever.
0: Yeah, I, I've got this list called "Top Regrets of the Dying," and it's mm. um, <clears throat> after years in palliative care, this nurse kind of did a survey of all the other nurses and they put together this list, which then got abbreviated and there's five top regrets. So one is I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Next one is I wish I hadn't worked so hard. The third was I <laughs> wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends and I wish that I had let myself be happier. And I always yeah. use this and I try to look at this on a regular basis because I try to use this as a checklist. Like, are you living a life true to yourself? Are you working too hard? Meaning, like, are you doing things that you hate? Because if you love it, you're, you know, like you said, you love what you're doing, right? It's not necessarily work to you. So are you working too yeah. hard? Um, are you expressing your true feelings? Have you not told some people some things that maybe you feel you should have? Have you been, in, you know, quiet, too quiet or too insincere? Are you staying in touch with your friends and family? And are you letting yourself be happy? And I think that's a good place to kind of wrap up this call because I think that if anyone feels that any of those are tripping them up, <clears throat> I think it would benefit you to talk to someone, to help you reframe your self-image and your self-perceptions and to work on that stuff because you are typically your biggest obstacle. It's not the real world. It's not the like a lot of the restraints and limitations that you perceive as real are just perceptions. They're not actually real. Yeah. You could break through them if you really needed to and wanted to and if you're far enough motivated. So, Muhammad, if somebody wants to get in touch, if they want to reach out to you, they can go to coachthemind.ca. Is there anything else they can do to reach out? Is that the best place to reach you? Do you have, like, a channel or anything that they can follow as well? or?
1: Yeah, so there is some more stuff that's going to be coming, but coachthemind.ca is definitely the central hub. They can get on my mailing list. I'm not one of those guys that... You know I, I probably send out maybe a couple dozen emails a year, right? Only when there's actually something worthwhile, right? Um, but there's a few, there's a bunch of resources there. There's my Facebook channel. but I, I honestly, you know if anyone wants to have a conversation, I try to make myself as available and approachable. And you know if you listen to this call and this 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 conversation that you and I have had up to this point, you know I'm totally grounded I'm in your corner. When you go to my website, on the corner, it says, book uh, a complimentary call. And that's exactly what it is. And even though it says 15 minutes, we usually end up chatting for like half an hour, sometimes even an hour, right, just to knock out what's possible,
2: hmm. right?
1: Uh, so I encourage everyone to do that. Like I said, there's no there's no charge. Um, and just to see, right, because that's exactly, I mean, I couldn't have ended it Any better than um, than exactly the way you said it? I mean, if there's there's opportunities here, if we're feeling we're not living our life that's congruent to what we actually believe and what our values are inside, um, it's an opportunity. And you know, besides myself, there's lots of people willing to help. So, Mm -hmm. so at least you know. Take
2: some action.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love it. So for those of you that are listening, definitely go check out CoachTheMind.ca. Go find Muhammad. Follow stuff. You you are your greatest weapon or your greatest enemy. So I think that anything you're investing in yourself, whether it's just getting some free advice or going join your pay program, especially for your kids, I just think that's such an important part psychology that your mentality. Your mindset, it's just a key critical component to all this stuff. So where your focus goes, your feet tend to follow. It's hard to walk backwards for, my, for a long period of time because you can't see there. You're not focused there. You know, where your focus goes, your feet... That was one of the things I learned in martial arts made a big difference to me. If I push someone's face and head, the rest of their body followed. And it made a huge difference Mm -hmm. in my competition because I realized that, you know, where the focus and head go, that's where they follow. And it was a big breakthrough. So, Muhammad, thank you so much for coming and sharing with us. I know that you have other... You have family that you could be tending to. You have other people or you could be volunteering. So thank you for coming and sharing with us because I really hope my listeners to pay attention to this. And whether they reach out or not, I hope that they take take action on the exercises that you suggested and maybe even listen to this call again, just to try to figure out what are some of the things that they need to work on um, for themselves so they can reach their next level. So thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. No, thank you so much. Lots of love towards you, man. Take care.
0: You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, first, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend,